Well, hello, and welcome back to Deconstructing the Bible. My name is Jason Stephan Hagen, and I am the Associate Minister at The Well, United Methodist Church in Rosemont, Minnesota, and it is a pleasure to be back with Season 2 of Deconstructing the Bible. We took off August and September to do a little deep breathing, to do a little refreshing, to do a little child rearing, getting the kiddos off to school, getting the year started off right. And now it is time to launch back in to another season of Deconstructing the Bible. Last season was kind of a meandering, all over the map kind of a season. We were just getting our feet wet, getting the thing started. So we had conversations with Stephanie Spencer, we talked faith development and identity development theory, we spent time talking about forgiveness, we dove into the prophets, we dove into the Old Testament and the first kind of poetic beginning of the Bible in Genesis, we were all over the place. And so for season two, we're going to try to give it a little bit more structure. For those of you that like a plan, those of you that are maybe a little bit more type A, Those of you that like to know where we're going, we have something in store for you this fall that will hopefully give you a little bit to hang on to, a little bit of consistency, if you will. Hopefully, if you like the randomness, there'll still be enough of that for you in the midst of this season. So for this fall season, 2021 of Deconstructing the Bible, we're going to do something kind of unique. We're going to look at the parables or some parables of Jesus from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Interestingly enough, the book of John does not have any parables, which is why we're not going to draw from the book of John when it comes to the parables. Just going to be looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So for the next nine weeks or so, we're going to take a look at a different parable each week, and we're going to deconstruct it, reconstruct it. We're going to see what it's saying in its context and what it could be saying to us today. So you all have gotten to know me a little bit. Some of you that know me in my personal life, you know that I love a good story. You know that I'm kind of obsessed with certain stories like Lord of the Rings. I've read the books uh, nine times in in the process of reading it for a tenth time. You know that I've watched the movies way too many times. And my wife can attest to that, binging. I also love a good show on Netflix, a good show HBO Max, a good show on Amazon, a good show on you name the service provider, and I've probably started to watch it. Except for Ted Lasso, my wife and I have yet to download Apple TV and dive into that one, but we will soon, I'm sure. So I like a good story. I enjoy watching a good story, whether it's Mayor of Easttown, um, whether it's something on Netflix like Bridgerton, uh, whatever it may be, I don't mind diving into a good story. Good stories have a way of capturing us, taking us off into a journey, helping us to imagine life a little differently. A good story is sometimes an escape into a different reality than the one that we're in, a place to just kind of hunker down for a little bit and enjoy the lives and the creativity of other people. Um, Sometimes when life's painful or hard, sometimes it's nice to see that, you know, for a character on TV, it's also hard and maybe even harder. And it's okay to to just kind of get lost in some stories. I think sometimes we love to watch stories that are so different from our own. It's almost like we imagine being those characters. I also love a good novel. I think one of my favorite 
novels that I've read in the last few years is the novel Bear Town about a hockey team. It's just a beautiful story about this youth hockey team that is full of drama, full of excitement, uh, beautifully well written. So if you haven't checked out Bear Town, I couldn't I couldn't recommend it highly enough. I also just got finished reading a book that my wife um, recommended to me. And she does all my recommendations. She's she's the reader of the group, and she recommends books for me to read, and I just dive on in. And so I love a good novel. I love a good story, and I love a good movie, love a good show. And stories, they just have a way of capturing us. They also have a way of sometimes teaching us. Sometimes a good story teaches us something about the world. It helps us engage uh, a different component of the world that we maybe don't have access to in our own personal life. So maybe there's a dynamic, a relationship, a, a type of living, a type of existence that we might not otherwise have a, an avenue into, a perspective that we might not see otherwise. And so a good story allows us to see things from a new vantage point, a new lens, helps us to read a little differently how the world works. And so if we're open to it, sometimes those stories have a way of teaching us. You know, Jesus does this amazing thing in the Bible where he teaches through parables. And a parable is essentially a story or it's a, 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 a teaching of some sort. It's a way of seeing the world, seeing the way the world works that helps us understand maybe a deeper truth. You know, I think parables are, are really interesting because in a lot of ways, what a parable is really matters on how we read it, right? And so if we're going to the parables to learn a moral teaching that tell that that gives us information about what we're there to do and, and maybe what that parable is trying to communicate. But is that what a parable is? Is a parable simply a moral teaching? Is it that straightforward? This means this. Or as William Herzog puts it in his book, Parables as, as Subversive Speech, could the parables be doing something else? And this is why I actually really like the idea of the parables. I like what William Herzog is up to, the parables as subversive speech. There's something going on within the parables. Why would Jesus teach this way if it was simple and easy? Why would Jesus just be uh, telling stories if the lessons were simple and easy? I mean, if Jesus is going to be simple and easy, why wouldn't he just tell people straight out. I mean, he he didn't have a problem simplifying the entire Old Testament and all the prophets down to love God and love others as you love yourself. I mean, Jesus had a way of taking the complicatedness of Scripture, and the Pharisees loved to complicate it. They loved coming up with rules. And Jesus had a way of simplifying things right down to their core. Love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as your self. Jesus had a way of being able to get at the heart, get at the root, get at the source of what something was all about. But then he also taught in parables. What is going on here? I think a parable, as William Herzog talks about it, there's a kind of a countercultural nature to it. Sometimes parables could actually be a little dangerous. Sometimes a parable would be problematic for the status quo. What do I mean by problematic for the status quo? If the way things are is set in stone, if the way things are never need to change, or there's no desire for them to change, then there's no need to say things in a parable. Because a parable could potentially be told in such a way that it upends what we think things are to help point us in the direction to the way things should 
be. Parables have a way of asking a deeper question, helping us look at things through a different lens. Parables can be subversive. They can be countercultural. They can be dangerous. They can be problematic for those that want to protect what is. How do we understand a parable? How do we even begin diving into what this parable is and, and, and deconstructing it a little bit? Well, I think part of the process of understanding a parable is understanding the historical context in which it was written. So as we navigate the different parables of Jesus, we're going to have to understand the historical context, the, the atmosphere, the, the plot. We're going to have to understand the setting of these stories in order to understand what Jesus may be up to. We also have to understand that there's something going on within each of these Gospels. There's a, a literary genre at work. There's a certain placement within the book, right? If these are coming at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel or in the middle of Matthew's Gospel or the end of Matthew's Gospel, they may have something different to say to us that may impact the way we read these parables and understand them. So what is the genre? What's the placement in the book? And then Here's a question for you, and I think some people have gotten tripped up here, is, is a parable simply an allegory? And an allegory is when you have a story that is a one-to-one -one comparison. So, for instance, some have tried to ask the question, um, is Lord of the Rings allegorical? Does the ring of power that Frodo is carrying to Mount Doom, does the ring stand for something? Is the ring, say, sin, as a lot of Christians wanted to identify it when these movies were coming out back in the early 2000s? The ring is sin, and Frodo's carrying it to Mount Doom where he has to destroy it. Um, and it was interesting to go down that path of allegory. And it's funny because although people were doing that left and right, trying to say, okay, Aragorn is Jesus, or Gandalf is Jesus because he comes back from the dead, and Frodo's this, and Sam is this, Sam is, you know, like this great uh, disciple, you know, or something. And they had all these different ways of trying to approach Lord of the Rings as an allegory. But it's funny because J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, said he actually detested allegory. But his good friend C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, actually said he loves allegory. And so when we read a book like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we can see that for C.S. Lewis, the character of Aslan, the great lion, very much so is allegorical to Jesus Christ because he literally lays down his life and then resurrects from the dead. And so we see this one-to-one -one situation in The Chronicles of Narnia and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe but we don't see it in Lord of the Rings because there's something else going on in Lord of the Rings. There's something else happening. He's not making a one-to-one -one comparison. And so I actually think that with the parables of Jesus, we're not meant to simply be allegorical. Like each instance within a parable has a one-to-one -one connection. I think a parable is something that we dance with. It's something that we dive into. I think a parable can oftentimes, instead of meaning one thing, a parable could possibly mean more than one thing. It could mean something different depending on the vantage point in which you are viewing it. Maybe if you are coming from a background where you felt marginalized and oppressed, a parable can be emboldening. A parable can be um, it can be something that empowers you. A parable tells you that there's hope out there. But maybe if you're um, on the top of the system. Maybe the system works for you. Maybe you've been in power all your life and you read a parable and suddenly the meaning of that parable is a little different because it feels 
dangerous. It feels threatening. It feels problematic for the the existence that you have. And so what could be going on in this parable? Um, Maybe if you've enjoyed that type of status, the parable becomes something that is making you uncomfortable. And finally, we have to ask the question when we're talking about the parables of Jesus, well, who is Jesus as the one giving these parables? Is Jesus just trying to help us understand the morals of the day, the things that we should and should not do? Is Jesus trying to explain a theological truth? Is Jesus trying to establish a religion? Is Jesus coming along to say, here are the do's and don'ts of this religious practice, this religious grouping that I want you to be a part of? Is Jesus coming at it as a rabbi? Is he coming at it as a teacher, someone who is offering a new vantage point or a new voice into an ongoing tradition of interpretation? Is Jesus telling stories to deepen the well, to deepen the collection of information about the way life is meant to be lived? Maybe Jesus is all of the above. Maybe Jesus is trying to help us understand morally what to do. Maybe Jesus is diving into the theology of how we know God. Maybe Jesus is trying to give us a better way of being in community. And maybe Jesus is adding his voice to the collection of how we understand what it means to be human and how we understand sacred text as a rabbi. And so maybe Jesus's voice is all of those things. So how we understand Jesus, how we understand what a parable is, how we understand how we engage it is going to matter for how we interpret and how we dance with these stories. So if you haven't figured it out already, I like the idea that parables are countercultural, dangerous, and problematic for the status quo. I like that they're subversive speech, as William Herzog points out. I think it's immensely important that we understand the historical context, the genre, the placement in the book. I think it's incredibly important that we recognize that Parables are going to mean different things for different people. They're going to, we're going to hear them a little differently depending on our own story, our own experiences, our own place on this planet. And I think it's going to matter a lot how we understand who Jesus was and why Jesus existed. And so when we look at all of those things, they're factors in how we engage the parables. So let's dive into one for a minute. We're going we're gonna to do one that's short. Actually, a couple of them. A couple of them that are only a couple of verses long. And I've loved these parables for a really long time. I'll, I'll be honest that one of the reasons why I love these is because um, I, I think they have this magical way of helping us understand a deeper truth that God has always been up to. Um, and they're such a beautiful parables about uh, the the way in which Jesus is calling us to interact with the world. And they come from Matthew chapter 13. Um, and we're going to look at verses 31 through 33. So it says this in Matthew 13, 31. Here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. And in verse 33, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. 
even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So what's going on with these parables, the mustard seed and the yeast, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast from Matthew chapter 13. So first of all, where's the disruption here? Because it seems to be saying on the surface very easily that something's going to start out small and then it's going to grow into something big and impactful. And I think that's, you know, what all people are trying to do, right? Is they they recognize that they start out small and then they hope something grows, right? They hope that their ministry grows. They hope that their business grows. They hope that their influence grows. So this is not an uncommon idea within humanity that you want something to grow. But here is the interesting thing about what Jesus is doing is that he's not saying that this small little podcast that you have going will one day reach millions of people. What he's saying is that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Now, what is significant about those phrases that I just used? The kingdom of heaven is in contrast to the kingdoms of the earth. Now, the kingdoms of the earth were not small. The kingdoms of the earth were not uninfluential. They were very influential. They were established. They were big. When when you thought about the kingdoms of the earth, you thought about ancient Egypt. You thought about Israel during the time of David and Solomon, highly influential. You thought about the Roman Empire and the vastness of the Roman Empire and the dominance of the Roman Empire. You And so when Jesus comes along talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, you would expect that people are thinking of this big, grand, uh, dynamic, um, all-encompassing kingdom that is supposed to be coming to earth, that is supposed to reestablish Israel as a leader among the global superpowers. And instead, Jesus is actually subverting the idea of a kingdom. Jesus is actually being countercultural in this moment because what he's saying is that what you think is supposed to be grand and large and massive is actually not going to be that way. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like yeast a woman used in making bread. And so what happens here is we have to recognize the subversion of what a kingdom is. The kingdom does not start out as the tree with its massive branches. Instead, it starts small as a seed. And it also starts out humble. Think about where a seed has to go in order to become a garden plant, right? The seed has to go into the ground. It has to die. It has to get buried in order to spring forth into new life. What happens to the yeast in the dough? It gets encompassed by the dough. It gets buried within the dough. It gets caught up. It gets lost in the dough. It gets melded into the dough, but yet it has a impact on the dough. It has an impact on what the dough itself can become. So I think there's a couple lessons for us to learn through the mustard seed and the yeast. The first with the mustard seed is that there is a pattern that this parable is tapping into. It's the pattern of death and resurrection, death and resurrection. The mustard seed must be buried. It must be 
put into the ground in order to spring forth into new life, to be resurrected in a way into something that isn't just birthed for itself to dominate all else, but instead it becomes a tree. And what happens? It provides space for new life. It provides space for birds to come and make nests in its branches. So a question that we could easily ask is, how is your life? How is your faith? How is your faith? How is your life? How is your Christianity? How is who you are on this planet providing space for growth? How is it providing space for others to feel at home, to make a nest within your branches, to feel cared for like they belong? Does your faith, does your understanding of God, does your Christianity, does it make room for people? Or is it putting up walls to people? Because the mustard seed dies and resurrects and it becomes home to others. Well, what about the yeast that is in the bread? Well, we can see that it permeates the entire bread. It encompasses the bread and it allows it to expand. So here's the question we can maybe ask with the yeast. How is your Christianity, your faith, your understanding of God, your engagement with who you believe God has made you to be, how are you bringing about the most in everything around you? Now, yeast makes the bread become bread. It makes everything come to what it's meant to be. It permeates, as it says, it permeates every part of the dough. How are you permeating in a beautiful, sustaining, life-giving, nourishing way? How are you permeating every part of what you see around you? Does your faith permeate and provide sustenance to everything around you? Or does your faith detract? Does it tear down? Does it does it hurt? Does it harm everything around you? How is your faith harming? Or how is it nourishing what you see around you? Our faith is meant to provide life and and hope, and it's meant to be a home, to a place to belong. It's also meant to permeate, to affect, to bring out the best in what it has around it. Christianity, at its best, highlights the best of our world instead of tearing down what we see in the world. Christianity, at its best, helps us to see the beauty of what's around us as opposed to just focusing on where we're different. And so how are we being a place of belonging? And how are we being a place that is permeating everything around us? So the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast, they are upside down, countercultural, dangerous, potentially even problematic for those of us that think it's all about big, better, and best. Instead, maybe it's about being humble. Maybe it's about being small. Maybe it's about being willing to grow slowly. I love what Donald Miller taught at one point. Have you ever gone into the wilder, the wilderness or the woods and taken a Polaroid picture? You know, one of those, for all the kids out there, a Polaroid picture is one of those that you take a picture and you have to like shake it for a while and you actually get the, the, the image right away. And so have you ever gone into the woods, taken a Polaroid picture and then waited 30 minutes and taken another Polaroid picture? And then compared the two and seen how much growth has taken place in those 30 minutes. 
right? Because in our culture, in our society, we want everything fast, 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 fast. Now remember, Jesus is engaging a culture that is speeding up, speeding up the Roman Empire, roads and roads and roads connecting all of the known world. And so Jesus was seeing the speeding up of culture. And now with the the space that we operate in with the 21st century and the internet and the globalization of the world and the connection to markets, I mean, the world is faster than it has ever been. But here's the thing. Does change and growth happen in 30 minutes? How do we microwave our discipleship? Well, the answer is we can't. And this parable is saying to us, this is going to take time. You are going to need to go through a process. You're going to have to humbly be willing to be buried, humbly be willing to go through the process of transformation and growth. You're going to come out the other side, a new creation, right? As Paul writes, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're going to have to come out the other side and be something different. You're going to go from a seed to a tree. You're going to go from yeast that is buried into something that has permeated the entire loaf of dough. And so how are you approaching your own development? How are we as a society, as a community, as a family approaching our own growth? Are we expecting to get it all right the first time? Are we expecting the American experiment to be perfect right away? Are we expecting a document written 200 years ago to fully encompass everything that we should be? Or do we need updates? Do we need clarification? Do we need evolution? Do we need there to be an understanding that things are different and the way we treat people, respect people, honor people, listen to their stories might need to change because we as a society and a system have to evolve and change and grow and we can't microwave. We can't expect it to have already happened. Instead, we need to go through a process just as individuals need time to grow, just as seeds get buried, just as leaven is put in bread. Here's the other thing. Have you ever watched a seed grow? No, of course not. It takes days, weeks, months, potentially even years to see change. Of course, you don't watch a seed grow. Most of it is happening under the ground. Most of it is you'll never see with the root system going down. You will never see the type of development and growth. Sometimes that's true in your own life. People will never actually see the growth and development in your life because you're establishing roots, habits, patterns. And so people won't see that, but they'll see the fruit of it. They'll see what comes out on top. Have you ever watched um, bread rise? Well, no, of course not, because even the most crazy advanced yeast takes an hour right? But real yeast takes somewhere of upwards to four hours to a day. And so yeast takes time to do its work. I've never sat in my kitchen after making bread, which I've done in order to make dough for pizza. I've never sat and thought, hmm, I'm going to sit here and watch the bread rise. Why? Because it's slow and boring and it takes time. But so do we. So do we. We take time, both as individuals and systems communities and families, we need time. We need intentional time to do the growth that God has for us. And so as the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, we can't microwave this kingdom. It will start out small. It will feel like we are being buried, but in being buried, we are being transformed. And in our transformation, we become home. We tell people they belong. We want them to feel like they are invited and part and they can find home with us. And also, we permeate the whole thing, bringing out the best 
of everything around us. We don't dominate, but instead we help foster the type of growth that the world desperately needs. We help foster forgiveness and grace and humility, and we help foster justice in our world. So, mustard seeds and leaven. This is what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. Well, thank you for joining me on this season two inaugural podcast for Deconstructing the Bible. Um, We have a special thing for some of you that maybe want to take this a little deeper this season. Every week when we do a different parable, we're going to have a follow-up conversation on Thursdays at one o'clock on Zoom. So if you are interested in joining us on Zoom for a follow-up conversation, you can email me at jstephenhagen at thewellmn.church. So jstephenhagen, S-T-E-F-F-E-N-H-A-G-E-N, at thewellmn.church. Email me and I will send you a link to the Zoom small group that we'll have that will be a follow-up to this conversation. Also, we're going to have a PDF that you will be able to find. Um, If you're a part of the well, it's going to be emailed to you. Um, Otherwise, we're going to have it on the website uh, for the church, uh, thewellmn.church. You can check it out, and we will update every week the podcast, the PDF, and the small group. And so we're excited to have you join us as we deconstruct the Bible, as we reconstruct our stories, as we engage God's word, as we explore what it means to learn from the parables, the stories that Jesus taught throughout the gospels. So thanks for joining us for Deconstructing the Bible. We look forward to engaging you either in a small group or in another podcast soon. Make sure that you like, recommend, subscribe, all the different ways in which um, it enhances the work of this podcast. We're excited for you to do so. Thanks again for joining us.